We're here at Series 2 of the Evening Under Lamplight podcasts with Robert Louis Abrahamson as we continue engaging with Shakespeare's Tempest. We're at the second scene of Act 2, a short scene, a kind of comic interlude, though with serious undertones. We're still in that stretch of the play where Prospero is absent and we are watching the other events going on in the island. We've just seen the king and his courtiers desperately searching the island for the king's son, Ferdinand, who we know has not drowned, but is, well, well, he's apparently been turned into Prospero's slave, though we know that's only an act to give a surer footing to the love between the prince and Miranda. And we saw Sebastian and Antonio at, at first just cynically looking on as Gonzalo tried to console the king, but then going deeper into villainy by planning to kill the king and Gonzalo and very nearly achieving this end before being interrupted by Ariel's stage managing. And we left them all going off to continue their search. And onto the stage comes Caliban, our first and, and only chance to see him alone. His soliloquy gives us a chance to see into his mind, which, despite the beautiful poetry, is bitter and obsessed with the fear that Prospero has his spirit spies everywhere and can at any moment bring him harm. <laughs> and yet, as we mentioned a few episodes ago, Prospero doesn't really inflict a great deal of pain. Caliban complains that the spirits pinch him, frighten him, and lead him astray in the dark, or they mow and chatter at him, or bite him, or prick his bare feet. His final complaint is that they wind around him like snakes, but only hiss him into madness. Yes, as I said before, they're painful punishments, but nothing like the actual cruelty inflicted on slaves and servants in Shakespeare's time. But Caliban can seem justified in his resentment, and in this speech he may be turning to the audience for their sympathy. Does he get it? Perhaps he does, but then the events occur that distract us from this opening moment. On comes a new character, Trinculo, the court jester for Alonso, king of Naples. Usually these jesters are special characters in Shakespeare, like Festy in Twelfth Night, or the Fool in King Lear, outsiders full of wit and intelligence who can penetrate through the surface into the essence of character or situation. But not here. Trinculo, <laughs> he's just silly, and, and not really in a very pleasant way. We've come to the level of the low-class comic characters. Notice that unlike Caliban, who speaks in elegant verse, Trinculo speaks in prose. Very expressive prose, though, in which Shakespeare captures ordinary speech in Trinculo's short phrases as he ponders what kind of thing this creature before him might be. Like the others, he regards Caliban as subhuman, a sea creature, judging by his smell and his first impulse is to make use of Caliban for his own profit, show him off as a freak. People in England will pay anything for a good show like that. Oh yes, and true to his low-life comic status, Trinculo is a coward, and he's afraid of the dark cloud overhead. Maybe it will bring another tempest like the last one, so he holds his nose and hides under Caliban's gabardine, huddling down next to Caliban, preparing the stage for the next comic turn. 
But wait, <laughs> what about that cloud and the clap of thunder that frightens Trinculo? Is it a genuine natural event or another of Prospero's tricks? Oddly enough, we just don't know. It serves its purpose right here, and then we hear nothing more for the rest of the scene. And so, with Caliban and Trinculo both lying there on the stage, not asleep, but nevertheless adding to the number of characters in this play who spend time lying prone on the floor, prone but not dead, as they often are in other plays. The stage is bare except for that lump of them there. And, and maybe it stays quiet for a short period, adding to the comic suspense. <laughs> maybe we watch those two figures trying to adjust to each other's close presence. And then suddenly on comes another new character, Stefano, the king's butler, another lowly comic figure, but slightly higher than Trinculo, if only because he at least knows some songs. It's a sailor's song he's singing, coarse and bawdy, with a scurvy tune, as he admits. Since we've been speaking of Shakespearean echoes, the line in the song, but none of us cared for Kate, reminds me, even if just faintly, of the taming of the shrew, where Kate is so unpleasant that no one wants to marry her. None of us cared for Kate. Now the scene has turned into farce, with Stefano's curiosity about this creature with four legs and two different voices. And like Trinculo, as soon as he conceives that this is a monstrous creature, his first thought is how he can use the creature to make money. We perceive that another important theme in the play is this contrast between those who would use other people for their own ends and those who love others pity and comfort them, or like the mariners who do their duty and work together. Stefano has come on drunk already, and then gets Caliban drunk, and perhaps Trinculo too. Thus the farce turns into a drunken comedy, with standard visual jokes like Stefano almost throwing up on the stage when Trinculo swings him around in joy, Prithee do not turn me about, he says. My stomach is not constant. The scene gives lots of scope for comic actors to be at their antic best. Stefano gives us his own backstory, ludicrous as befits his character. He managed to survive on top of a keg of wine that floated safely to the island. By the way, did Ariel manage this? Were these two clowns part of Prospero's original plans? I don't think this is clear. Don't miss, by the way, Caliban's passing reference to the man in the moon with his dog and his bush, reminiscent of the mechanical playing moonshine in the Midsummer Night's Dream, who petulantly throws away his line in the Pyramus and Thisbe play after being interrupted by Theseus and Lysander, and announces, all that I have to say is to tell you that the lantern is the moon, I the man in the moon, this thornbush my thornbush, and this dog my dog. But the forest turns darker as the drunken Caliban falls at the feet of Stefano, who has provided the wine, and declares himself Stefano's subject, and offers, as he probably offered to Prospero long ago, to show him all the secrets and delicacies of the island. Here's another form of that betrayal of the rightful hierarchy that we saw on a higher level in the previous scene. 
and it's another version of the European arriving on an island and overcoming the native, here as so often elsewhere, with alcohol and putting him to his own use. Perhaps we feel some sympathy for Caliban now at the end of the scene. Someone who continually nurses grudges is easily led astray by anyone he thinks can treat him better. <laughs> Poor Caliban, subjecting himself to these two men, whom we easily understand to be entirely unworthy of any respect. I think we would take Caliban any day over Stefano and Trinculo, and maybe we have come back to whatever sympathy Caliban's opening soliloquy may have raised in us for him. Well, off they go, Stefano assuming that everyone else has been drowned and he can have sovereignty over the island, Caliban singing his triumphant song about having a new master, and Trinculo, well, just gormlessly following along. And the stage is empty again, waiting for what comes next. And we'll wait, too, until our next episode. See you then. <laughs>